Grass withers and the fire fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, so that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, Prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, Take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh, that it may become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. But Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. For each man cast down his staff, and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, just as the Lord had said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he's going out to the water. Stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him. Take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent, and you shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their canals, their ponds, all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there is blood, and there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in vessels of wood and in vessels of stone. Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh, in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And there was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. All the Egyptians dug along the water or along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. This ends the reading of the Lord's word this morning. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would illumine our hearts, that you would illumine your word for us, that we may come to know you, not just as our, our Savior, but as our King. Guide us, Lord. Teach us. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.
When God created us, um, God created us, he gave us both the ability uh, and a command to be kingdom builders. He commanded Adam and Eve uh, to rule, rule over all the earth, subdue it. And he gave them the ability, right? He created them to to be builders of a kingdom. It's just part of who we are. We carry the same DNA, the same uh, identity. So we build, right? We build families. um, We build communities. We build lives. We build kingdoms. Uh, But there's a problem, right? There's a difference between before the fall and after the fall. Because the kingdom we're supposed to be creating, the kingdom we're supposed to build is God's kingdom. But because of sin... Now we want to uh, build our own kingdoms, kingdoms for ourselves that, that we rule over and not God. We want to be kings and queens of our own palaces with our own subjects. Uh, and so we try to do that. We, and we, in so doing, try to overthrow God's rule. There's only one way that ends, with the Lord claiming what belongs to him. In our passage today, that's what the Lord is doing. Pharaoh has set up his own kingdom. He set up uh, his own rule where he is the king. No one can encroach on his territory. And he refuses consistently over and over again to submit and to surrender to God. But God's goal in this chapter is not just to claim the territory that Pharaoh has, has set up for himself. The Lord is revealing something. He's teaching us something. Specifically, God is teaching us in this passage that his is a better kingdom than Pharaoh's because he's a better king. The Lord's kingdom is better because he's a better king. So let's look. Let's see how the Lord is teaching us in this passage. Let's look at Pharaoh's kingdom and Pharaoh as a king. If you remember uh, the last time we talked about Exodus, I'm sure you remember every name in the genealogy. You have it all memorized, cross-stitched on your pillows. Um, You loved it, obviously. Um, But in this genealogy, what the Lord revealed and taught was that Moses and Aaron, the guys he's going to use, are not qualified. That they aren't the saviors of Israel. He, the Lord, is the savior of Israel. They are the ones, however, that God is going to use Because in using them, he's showing his strength. So what the Lord does now is he says, okay, now look at my kingdom versus Pharaoh's kingdom. You've seen how I can use weak people. Now look and see how I can actually work miracles and acts of power. So what he says, right, when he sends Moses and Aaron, in verse 3, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that I may multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt. You may notice the ESV translates it slightly differently, but I think the Lord is saying that he's going to harden, harden Pharaoh's heart in order to uh, do signs and wonders. The Lord is going to demonstrate his power. And part of how he's going to do that <clears throat> is to demonstrate Pharaoh's weakness. Now, what I, we've said before, right, that how can God harden Pharaoh's heart and then punish him for hardening his heart? But remember that the Lord is not causing Pharaoh to sin. He's simply using the sin that's already there. 
This is already in Pharaoh's heart. Uh, This is who Pharaoh is. It's just the Lord is using it for his purposes. And so Pharaoh is going to try and show his own power. The Lord says, okay, go and say to Pharaoh, let my people go and do this sign. Throw your staff down uh, and it will become a a snake. Then the Lord, uh, and then verse um, 10, Moses and Aaron go and they do everything that the Lord commanded. And then what Pharaoh does, right, as Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, it became a serpent. Verse 11, and Pharaoh summoned the wise men, the sorcerers, and they, the magicians of Egypt, did the same by their secret arts. Notice how Pharaoh is trying to go toe-to-toe with God. He's saying God sends his people to do a sign. Pharaoh sends his people to do the same sign in return. It's as though he's trying to demonstrate that he is every bit as powerful as God is. Whatever God can do, Pharaoh can do as well. Pharaoh is obsessed with going toe-to-toe with God. If you remember uh, in the previous passages, right, God has said, thus says the Lord. Pharaoh has said, oh yeah, well, thus says Pharaoh. You can make a snake out of thin air, so can I. He's trying to prove his power that his kingdom is, cannot be conquered by God's kingdom. But the reality is that he is not as powerful. Because look at the end uh, of chapter, or sorry, of verse um, 12. Each man of the magicians cast down his staff and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Even as Pharaoh tries to show that he's as powerful, God says, nope, I still am more powerful. The imagery is that God is going to swallow up Pharaoh if he doesn't surrender. And yet he remains hardened. Verse 13, still Pharaoh's heart was hardened. He would not listen to them as the Lord said. He refuses to bow his knee to God. He refuses to admit that he, Pharaoh, is the usurper and God is the true king. So the question then becomes, well, what is Pharaoh willing to give up to protect his kingdom? How far will this go? How far does God need to go before Pharaoh will admit defeat? What is Pharaoh willing to lose to keep his little kingdom? Well, we're going to find out. In verse 14, uh, the Lord says to Moses, right, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. Go again. Go to him in the morning as he's going out to the water. Meet him and take your staff and say to him, verse 16, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But you have not obeyed. So thus says the Lord, By this you shall know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, and it shall turn into blood. The fish in the Nile shall die, the Nile will stink. The Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. Notice a couple things. First, the Lord is saying, this is how you will know me. This is how you will know that I am king. He will strike the Nile, and he will essentially destroy it. 
that in turning it to blood, it's, it's as if the Lord is going to strike the Nile and kill it. And that's significant because the Nile for Egypt is their lifeblood. The Nile is their water. It's their source of irrigation. It's their source of fish. It's their source of transportation. Their whole culture is structured around it. Their mythology is structured around the Nile as this, uh, as this god that they worship. And God's going to kill it. And this isn't something that affects only Pharaoh. This affects every single Egyptian. By turning it into blood, it's as if the Lord is killing all of Egypt because of Pharaoh's stubbornness. And Pharaoh's response? Verse 22. The magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord said. Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and he did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the water, the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. So what is Pharaoh willing to give up in order to not surrender to God? Apparently, all of his subjects. As they have to dig for water to even live, he sits in his house, refusing to surrender. He'd rather let them die than to surrender to God. This is what he is willing to give up to defend his kingship, his his kingdom, the very people he's supposed to be ruling over. Because there's, there's always a price to pay, isn't there? There's a price to pay for keeping his kingdom, and there's a price to pay for surrender. What he'd have to pay to surrender is he'd have to sacrifice his own ego, his pride, his, his freedom, if you will, and bow his knee to God. Maybe he'd even have to sacrifice his comfort. but he'd rather sacrifice his people and keep all of that. I think we do the same thing. What are we willing to pay to keep our kingdoms, to keep our comfort, to keep our pride and our freedom from God? What are we willing to sacrifice to keep those things? Is it not each other? Our families? We don't want to give up our comforts. We don't want to give up our control. We definitely don't want to give up our pride. That's the kind of kingdom that Pharaoh is ruling over and if we're honest with ourselves, it's the kind of kingdoms that we construct to. But we find something radically different in God's kingdom. Because God is a radically different king than Pharaoh and then all of us. Because why does God do this? 
Right? Pharaoh does all of this. He gets his magicians to do these, these tricks, these illusions, these magics for, for prideful and selfish reasons, to prove that he can go toe-to-toe with God. Why does God do it? Go back to verse 4. Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. In a sense, right, both Pharaoh and God are defending their own kingdoms, but in very different ways. Right? Pharaoh is doing it for selfish reasons, for prideful reasons. God is defending his kingdom in order to bring out his people. He is defending his people. Pharaoh won't let go of his pride, but God won't let go of his people. Because he is a very different king. There isn't any other king like him. Because God truly, he he leverages all of his power, all of his acts of, of might, not for himself, but to rescue his subjects. The comparison between God as a king and Pharaoh as a king, it just keeps getting worse the more you think about it. Right? Pharaoh sits in his house while his people thirst for water. But God sees his people's need and comes down to them. In fact, it won't be very much longer. Well, in the wilderness, God will provide streams of water in the desert from a rock. And he will quench his people's thirst. Pharaoh lays his own people on the altar of his pride and of his rebellion. Who does God sacrifice? God lays his own son on the altar in order to rescue a bunch of slaves. That's why God's kingdom is a better one. Because he's a, he's a better king. Because the king was willing to die for some slaves. That's what the cross is about. But it's not, it's not just a, a grand gesture of affection. Right? The cross isn't the Lord just giving this grand gesture of of how much he loves us. The cross is actually the great act of judgment that brought his people out of slavery. That what he's teaching Egypt and Israel is that there has to be death in order for salvation to come. That it's only through the great acts of judgment that there will be salvation. That's exactly what the cross says too. It's only through the great act of judgment It's only by paying that price. And here we find the king himself paying it for the people. Jesus paid the price. Not for judgment he brought on himself. But Jesus paid the price for your sin. For your rebellion. For your stubborn refusal, just like Pharaoh, to surrender to him. Now that he's paid that price, you belong to him.
you belong to him, and that is a, the best kingdom to be in. Because he is the kind of king who dies for his people. And that changes everything about how we live. Because now that he's our king, we are his servants. We are called to serve him, to worship him, to obey him, trust him. And most importantly, to surrender everything to him. So surrender. Surrender your kingdoms. Surrender your your family to God. Surrender your job to God. Surrender your sins to God and your fears. Because whatever the cost of letting go, of letting go of all of that, it's better to lose your pride. It's better to lose your freedom to do what you want in order to gain Christ as your king. So may he give us a heart that desires to worship him as our king because he's claimed us as his. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you that you have claimed us as your people. Not by our works, Lord. We did not deserve it. We were only slaves to sin, and yet you have claimed us and made us yours. So may we return, Lord, what you've given us. May we, out of gratitude and joy in our hearts, give back to you what is rightfully yours. Uh, And may it be for your glory and the building up of your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.